Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples. On today's podcast, Ken will continue to lay out the case for a Christian theistic view of truth. But before we get to that, we have an exciting announcement to share with you today. You may have already heard about it if you're following reasons to believe. But in case you didn't, we're excited to tell you a little bit more about the newly revamped Ask RTB app. This app is like having a personal guide to navigate complex topics in a concise, easy-to-understand way, Ken. Well, you know, Joe, that I'm not terribly tech-savvy, so what excites me <laughs> about the Ask RTB app is that it's really easy to use. You just type your question in to the search bar, and it pops up right away with the, the content uh, that you're you're looking for. So th this is really, really a, a keen, um, uh, this is really a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not that. Not only will the app provide you with a written answer, in many cases, there will be a short form, uh, there, there will be short form videos to watch and other resources so you can dive deeper. Uh, regarding those uh, short form videos, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they said they appreciated that RTB continues to put those out. That is, I think what, what the person was trying to communicate is they're used to the in-depth material. This podcast is one of those. Uh, there's also the Star, Sales, and God podcast and books and other things like that. But occasionally they just like to see the shorter stuff so they can kind of get that on the go. So uh those will be a part of uh, the app, which is in development, and but will be ready. In fact, it is ready now. Yeah, I think our audience will appreciate the care and detail that has gone into the creation of this tool. There is a growing need for accurate faith and science-based information, and this app really helps empower people to find it. All right, so get your hands on it. Try it out for yourself. The Ask RTB app is available right now. You can download in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store by searching for Ask RTB. All right, hope you take advantage of that. Uh, Ken, let's get to the uh, content of today's podcast. I think it was the, the podcast before the last one that you were talking about a creation, Christian theistic view of truth, and you want to continue in that vein today. Yes. Uh, if you have my book, and I hope many of you do, if you have my book, A World of Difference, we're looking at the uh, issue of truth. And I really want to kind of lay a context for why I think this topic is, is very, very important. And, you know, it kind of comes down to the way people today are thinking. I would describe uh, the the worldview that is very popular today as kind of a postmodern uh, perspective. And if that doesn't make a lot of sense to you, um, think of Christianity uh, because the Christian faith is an ancient faith. We can think of uh, Christianity as pre-modern. Um, and what we mean by that is that objective, the, the foundation for truth, meaning and purpose and value, uh, all of that's found in God. And that view continued for, for many centuries. And of course, uh, Christians hold that view today. But right around the time of the Enlightenment, 
um, 17, think 1700s, if you will, you run into what we call modernisms instead of pre-modernism, modernism. And to continue the theme, the objective foundation for truth, meaning, purpose, and value, it's no longer found in God. It's found in man. It's found in nature or it's found in science. So that's that's a secular uh, modern view. And then right about the time of uh, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, if you will, uh, you have postmodernism, and, and that would be the claim that obje the objective foundation for truth, meaning, and purpose and values, it doesn't exist. It isn't there. You have to create it. And Joe, in terms of what we talked about in our previous program, I would define postmodern uh, view of truth is that truth is relative. Uh, it's not fixed. It's not absolute. It's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, you often hear people say, well, that's true for you, but it may not be true for me. Again, uh, representing what I would call a deep relativization of truth, but, but along with that, also morality and even language. And so truth is, is seen in a postmodern context as something that's constructed inst instead of discovered. You know, a classical Christian view is that truth is found in God, and God reveals it to us, and we have the capacity to receive it because we're made in his image. But a very secular postmodern view would be, no, uh, truth is, is not an objective reality. It's, it's not discovered. Uh, as much as it's invented uh, or constructed. Um, people in a postmodern context will often say things like, uh, whatever works for you. If, if something works for you, if it empowers you, uh, then, then, it's, then it's true for you. It may not be true for others. And of course, uh, to again underscore the relativistic element, uh, one truth is just as valid as another. So if believing in God uh, works for you, if that's true for you, but maybe the opposite, that there's no God, or maybe you adopt uh, a mystical Eastern view. And ultimately, um, what is more important than truth is power. Um, and so those are some of the characteristics of thinking in a, in a postmodern age. Now, if you'd like to know a lot more about that, in my book, A World of Difference, I have an entire chapter devoted to what I call uh, a secular postmodern worldview. But Joe, in light of uh, the world in which you and I live in right now, um, I think it's important to, to talk about a Christian view of truth. And a, a couple of the principles we talked about previously uh, would be, first of all, that the Bible talks about truth. Uh, the Hebrew emet, uh, the Greek word in the New Testament is aletheia, and it conveys the idea of uh, faithfulness, reliability, honesty. Now, there's the, the Bible does not contain a systematic or a philosophical formal definition of truth, but I think uh, we can say that uh, the Bible assumes 
what I would call what philosophers call a realist or a uh, correspondence view of truth. And all I mean by that is if your idea uh, matches reality, thus realism, or if your idea corresponds to reality, then you know the truth. If two plus two equals four, and I believe that, then I, I believe the truth. And so behind scripture or foundational to it would again be a correspondence view or a realist view. Uh, truth is not something you uh, invent. It's something you discover. So that those are uh, some basic biblical uh, principle ideas. We could add to that, and I begin then a discussion of, of uh, seven uh, principles uh, that are representative in a Christian theistic view. And of course, the first one is that God is ultimate truth. God is truth with a capital T. Uh, he is not only the truth, but he grounds all truth. God is infinite. He is eternal. Uh, he knows all things. He has all power. He has all of these omni attributes. And of course, God is not a human being. Um, God doesn't go through a discursive process. Uh, Joe, when you and I uh, think about uh, truth claims, we look at the premises of an argument. Uh, we look at the conclusion of the argument and we ask, oh, does, does the conclusion flow from the premises? We go through a discursive process. Well, the Bible reveals a God that's infinite and eternal. God knows all things immediately. So everything that God knows is true. And not only does he know all truth, but truth is grounded uh, in God. And, and again, what's so important about that is it's such a contrast today where people say, look, there, there is no grounding of truth. Nobody has, and this is very popular, a popular expression in postmodern thinking, nobody has a God's eye view of truth because, because God's not there. So uh, from a Christian point of view, no, there is a God's eye view of truth. And the closer you get to God's truth, the closer you are to truth. So that was our first principle. Um, uh, number two is that Jesus Christ is the truth of God incarnate. So God has created the world, and, uh, you know, in the beginning, we talk about creation ex nihilo. There's nothing but the triune God, and God calls or speaks, uh, brings all things into existence from nothing. So he brings contingent reality into being, and in that creation, that that created order is reflected through the transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty. So everything God creates, to some extent or another, reflects truth, goodness, and beauty. And uh, But when it comes to Jesus, not only do we, we can find truth in Scripture, not only can we find truth in general revelation, science, logic, philosophy, mathematics, because again, those truths come out of the mind of God. But in Jesus, we get truth in the flesh, truth in a person. 
And of course, uh, he is the, the son of God. Um, Joe, in the ancient world, now let's talk 500 years before the coming of Christ, uh, about the time of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, uh, they believed that there was objective truth. They believed that there was truth out there, and uh, they called it logos, reason. Um, they believed that there was a principle of truth that was objective, and you could discover it. And of course, John, the apostle, uh, in his Gospel of John, he takes that Greek word, logos, and it's a pregnant word because for 500 years, it's meant that there is a logical basis behind rationality. And uh, we're told that Jesus is the logos. Jesus is not only God, not only is he God, not only is he with God, but uh, he is the ground and foundation for uh, for all truth. And so uh, you could translate John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was logic. In the beginning was the truth of God, the word. Uh, and of course, he comes in a person uh, and Christians affirm uh, both from a biblical context and then gradually and slowly from a creedal context that Jesus is a single person, but he has both a divine and human nature. He is uh, one person with two natures. He's one who and two what's. Uh, what in a philosophical context relates to being or ontology uh, your who is the the personhood or subsistence. And so the Chalcedonian Creed says that Jesus is one person with two natures, a, a humanity, uh, a human nature and a divine nature. And of course, the, the remarkable passage in John 1.14 that follows that prologue. By the way, there are New Testament scholars who think that prologue in John 1, so John 1, 1 through verse 18, may have been an early creed. Uh, this idea that there are creeds weaved into Scripture, it's a fairly new position. I'm not sure anybody held that view before the 20th century, but Joe, it's now the dominant view in New Testament studies that there are portions of scripture that constitute creeds or hymns or confessional statements. And of course, uh, the book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Uh, well, this idea of a confessional type of faith. Well, we read the, the great passage in verse 14 of John, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So uh, not only is there an objective truth, not only is God the foundation for truth, but truth has come in a person. Uh, we have encountered him. And I, I think of something J.I. Packer said. Packer, of course, was uh, the great evangelical Anglican uh, scholar in the 20th century, died a few years ago, lived a lengthy life. Um, Packer said that there's nothing in fantasy or in literature that is greater than the truth of Christianity in that God has become a man. Um, 
you know, and I, I think we have to think about that. We we have to we have to think about the reality of the world. The world is a, a real place. Uh, the world is a good place. It it has of course been affected to some degree by sin. Human beings have had the image of God tarnished to some degree, but the world is real. It's there, and uh, planet Earth could be described as the visited planet. Um, you know, I was 11 years old when the Apollo 11 astronauts walked on the moon. Uh, our, Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, but a, a few Apollo uh, missions later, um, one of the astronauts said that it's a great thing for a man to walk on the moon. Uh, but it's a greater thing for God to walk on the earth. And uh, think of think of all the literature you want. Packer says, wow, that's right at the foundation. Now, a, a third principle that I talk about in my book, A World of Difference, is that all truth is God's truth, and he's revealed it to humankind. Uh, Joe, what I think is so important here is this really lays a foundation for what we do at Reasons to Believe. Um, God has not only revealed himself uh, in the Old Testament in the to the nation of Israel, not only in the heavens that declare the glory of God, Psalm 19, um, in our conscience, Romans 1 and 2. Uh, and so, God has revealed himself in his word and in special revelation, but he's also revealed himself in his creation. And uh, so all truth is God's truth. Um, and we don't have to be afraid that if we discover in something in science, it's going to conflict with God because God is the author of both books. Now, doesn't mean we always interpret both books properly. That's where the clash, that's where the conflict can be. Um, but Joe, this has been very important to me. I remember years ago when I decided I wanted to study philosophy, um, I went through a bit of a crisis of faith because on one hand, um, I'd kind of grown up Catholic, but I had uh, gone uh, to an evangelical kind of a charismatic church and I don't want to run them down, but I'm going to be honest. Uh, it was kind of anti-intellectual. And they never talked about reason. They talked about faith. And of course, I was going to college and taking courses uh, in philosophy, studying epistemology, the theory of knowledge, metaphysics, the study of reality. And I noticed that in the college I attended, we talked about reason. We never talked about faith. And it left me... Um, with a sense of doubt, I thought to myself, well, how, how can I know that uh, what I'm studying in philosophy is going to match with, with faith? How can I bring faith and reason together? And that's when apologetics really became very important to me. People like Walter Martin, people like John Warwick Montgomery, they guided me to the idea that, hey, uh, there's the two books. Uh, what you discover in logic and reason is going to correspond to what you discover in scripture. And of course, they pointed me to people like St. Augustine, to Thomas Aquinas, and uh, that helped alleviate a lot of that tension because for a while I thought, 
I'm a man without a country. I, you know, church, it's faith, school, it's reason, but I'd like to be a person of faith and reason. So, you know, this is uh, this is why, Joe, I think Reasons to Believe has such a powerful influence. I can't tell you how many times in my, I'm working on year 27 at RTB, I can't believe that. Mm. Um, but Joe, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to engineers, to medical doctors, uh, you know, to dentists, doc, all kinds of different people in the STEM discipline. And they will often say, wow, I I was a person of faith, but I was also a math, uh, science, uh, logic type person, but I couldn't put the two books together. And they say, you know, read a Hugh Ross book or I read uh, a Fuzz Rana book, and it really helped me put them together. So this is, I think, very foundational. One of the reasons why so many people have left the faith is I think that there is some degree of doubt whether, hey, can I be a person of science? Can I be a person of philosophy? Can I can I really take history seriously? Uh, and will it correspond to reality? And so I can't fault young people for feeling confused. I can't fault young people for feeling, uh, you know, having doubts in kind of the worldview that that we're living today. Now, uh, maybe we could pick up a fourth point. But Joe, let me let me ask you. Uh, any any of those issues you want to talk a little bit about before we go on to our fourth point? I'm tracking with you, and I appreciate it. I might uh, ask you this uh, on this third point: um, all truth is God's truth. There may be some people, some Christians, despite what you just said, who uh, are not uh, let's see, not totally embracing of uh, the idea that truth can be found outside of the Bible or, or uh, church context or whatever. Um, they might say, if there's a Christian doctor, I'm going to go to that doctor, and that's fine. But uh, I think what you're saying is, uh, as long as you're studying medicine, uh, you have access to the truth. If, if you're studying philosophy, history, law, whatever it is, um, you you have access to the truth, to the truth because God has delivered it through general revelation. I wonder if you might uh, uh, highlight that, expand on it a little bit. Yeah, that's a very important point, that God has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself uh, in uh, the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel. Remember, Moses had an encounter with the Lord at the burning bush, uh, the Hebrew prophets uh, had an encounter with, with Yahweh. And as Christians, we believe that that God of ancient Israel is the God of Christianity. Now, Christians have kind of modified Christianity as kind of a mutation of uh, Judaism in the sense that uh, while, we, while God reveals himself, Yahweh reveals himself in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we discovered that there are two other persons who are extensions of Yahweh, Jesus uh, and the Holy Spirit. So there is a bit of a modification there. But again, we believe that God has revealed himself 
But we also take seriously uh, general revelation. Um, and I, I think what's so important about this is that it means that since everybody's made in the image of God, and since uh, everybody is a recipient of common grace, Jesus says the, the, the sun and the rain fall on all people. God's gracious. His love comes out even to people who are not uh, in a redemptive relationship with him. Well, I, I think what we can conclude from that, since God has created the world, and uh, he created the world with logos, logic, and namos, laws, that all people are going to have, uh, they're going to get certain things right. Um, now, now, science was birthed one time in uh, the 1600s in, in Europe, but uh, the Chinese made contributions to science and technology. It, it never really kind of took hold as a as a universal movement, but the Muslims contributed right around 800 in Baghdad. Uh, the Mesopotamians even earlier, the Gre Greco-Romans with their logic and all of those kinds of things. And you know, you you note something I think very important, Joe. Um, yeah, I I like having a Christian doctor. Uh, it's helpful to have a, a doctor who shares my faith, and I, I have had uh, one, and I enjoyed kind of interacting with them. But I want a doctor who's really good uh, at medicine. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to realize that the world is made by God, and uh, we have tools like math and uh, science and, and logic. We study biology. Uh, we study physics, uh, we study about the natural world, uh, and we can discover real truth. Now, when you get to drawing the philosophical elements of that, that's where it gets dicey. That's where it gets difficult. I mean, uh, I don't think you can really fault Albert Einstein's physics but when Albert Einstein begins to approach philosophy and the existence of God, then there, there can be a conflict in, in that. And so I think it's a big mistake for Christians to think that non-Christians can't know any truth at all. Um, wait, they're made in the image of God. They, they see God uh, in nature. And so I think that's awfully important. And uh, again, I think it can be helpful uh, to many people to realize that, yeah, there's going to be conflict between uh, the Bible in, and science, but it's science interpretation rather than science itself. Um, you know, some Christians believe the, the earth is only six to 10,000 years old. Well, that conflicts with scientific studies. Um, of course, at RTB, we believe that the earth is old. We believe that the Bible can be reasonably interpreted in a way that illustrates the ancientness of the world. So the earth is four and a half billion years old. The universe, 13.7 or around there, around 14 billion years old. Uh, but again, there's always going to be that interpretation. And uh, I think it's awfully important to realize that uh, God is truth. 
He reveals truth. And we don't have to be afraid of uh, the word of God conflicting with with, uh, truth in the world. Again, there's always going to be the challenge of have we got have we got both of them correct? Uh, but think of a worldview where you really can't have objective truth. Think of a worldview where uh, you construct truth rather than discover truth. And Joe, I'm not kidding when I say that there is a popular expression of postmodernism today where they not only say truth in the humanities and the social sciences are constructs, there are people today who are saying that even mathematics and even basic science, uh, that those are constructed. And uh, so this this, uh, relativization has entered into the STEM realm. Uh, and I think it's very important that Christians are anchored in the truth. Well, let's look at a fourth truth, uh, Joe. We're, we're we're after seven. A fourth view, and and again, I invite any of our listeners to get a hold of my book, A World of Difference. I wrote it back in two thousand seven, and it was my attempt to to develop the Christian worldview, and then I compare it with four competing worldviews. We look at naturalism, uh, which is the secular worldview that says nature is all there is. There's no supernatural, no soul. Uh, I also compare it with uh, secular postmodernism that we're talking about uh, in this show. Um, I compare it with another theistic system of Islam. uh, And I also compare it with what I call an Eastern mystical view. So kind of a pantheism. So you have a way of thinking about the Christian worldview and then doing some comparing and contrasting. And I present various tests for a worldview. Well, let's look at a fourth view of a a Christian theistic view of truth. And that is that truth is objective. It's not subjective. It's objective. It's knowable. And it's applicable. And so the truth of God comes in general revelation, in in creation, it comes in scripture, it's objective in in nature. Uh, There is a truth that exists out there, and uh, not only is it there, but it's knowable, it can be uh, understood, it can be applied. Uh, So I would say, for example, that the truths of mathematics, they're not invented, they're discovered. The truths of the laws of logic, they're not invented, they're discovered. I mean, there are people today, Joe, and I I wish I were kidding, but I'm not. There are some people who say, you know, uh, Aristotle invented the laws of logic. Well, you can't invent the laws of logic uh, because you have to affirm them to believe anything, to think anything uh, carefully. But again, there are there are people, and and again, these are probably popularized postmodern thinking. But I think they still are based upon the German philosophers Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Karl Marx, uh, the French uh, secular postmodern philosophers. Michel Foucault, Jacques Derrida, 
these are uh, ideas that are reflected. I mean, Nietzsche said uh, uh, there's no ultimate meaning to life. And so human beings have to create their own meaning. Derrida says uh, you, you can't have uh, objective truth in a text. You have to deconstruct it. Uh, there's no ultimate objective to discover. Uh, it's all uh, how you read it. And so even language is seen uh, as, as equivocal. Well, Christians say no. Uh, the, the view of uh, historic Christianity is that God has revealed himself. He's revealed a world that can be understand, uh, that can be understood. And he's revealed himself in words. Um, why is it that I can pick up a book, maybe one of the great Shakespeare classics, or pick up Dostoevsky, or pick up scripture, which is the greatest of the great books? Uh, why is it that people can communicate with each other? Uh, why is it that we can have confidence in language? Well, because again, God has created human beings in his image. He's created a real world of ideas and, and the world of nature, and he's networked those things with himself. And so again, going all the way back to pre-modernism, um, Christianity is pre-modern in the sense that uh, the objective foundation for truth, meaning, purpose, value, language, it's found in God. Um, and, and so this principle says that we can, um, we can know truth because it's objective. We can apply it. Doesn't mean all that's easy. Sometimes you have to work your tail off to discover the truth. Sometimes you have to be very careful how it's applied. And I'm not saying, I'm not denying that there may be cultural applications that are different. But the idea that truth is real, that it's out there, that it can be apprehended is very much a Christian idea. And truth incarnate said this, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth. This is John 8, 32. Uh, when I encountered the truth, uh, the Lord set me free. And um, I think in our postmodern period of, of this increasing relativization, uh, Christians have to view truth as, as sacred. And I think it's very important in communicating with non-Christians that they perceive us as people who are reliable in pursuing truth. Uh, that if we make a mistake, if we if we make an error about the truth, that we correct it. Um, I think of the intellectual virtues of scripture. Um, the Bereans are more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because uh, they're, they're checking notes, right? They're checking the manuscript. They're looking at the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, we see other virtues, test all things, hold on to the good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. How about a fifth view? Truth is universal, absolute, and unchanging. Um, not only is it objective, not only is it applicable, but it's universal. 
there, there isn't there isn't truth for Africans or truth for Europeans or truth for Australians. Uh, there is a universal truth. Uh, it comes from God, who is the God's eye view of truth, and we can we can we can know it, and it has an absolute nature to truth, uh, and it's unchanging. Um, I don't know how in the world Western civilization would have been able to develop with some of the ideas that are kind of uh, thrown around today. Now, notice too that there is a there's an absolute nature to truth, and so when we say things like Jesus Christ is Lord, um, that's a universal truth. Uh, when we say that God exists, when we say Christ is the Savior, we're we are emphasizing the idea that these are universal; they're absolute. Uh, they're unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I can build uh, principle number six there on number five, truth excludes whatever is contrary as falsehood. Now, what do I mean by that? Truth excludes whatever is contrary as falsehood. Well, if Jesus is God incarnate, if that's true, if if it is true that God has become man in the person of Jesus Christ, if that's a true statement, then it is false to say that Jesus is not God incarnate. And therefore, the idea of religious ideas, um, if Jesus is Lord, uh, then there are some people who are not, uh, namely Caesar. I mean, what what was it that got Christian? What was it that got Christians so in trouble in the first century? It wasn't because they were religious, but because they said, "If Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't." Whoa, that's not something you want to say in the Roman Empire. But if Jesus is Lord, Krishna isn't. Uh, Krishna is the central deity in the in the religions of Hinduism. If Jesus is Lord, wow, uh, Allah isn't. Uh, Christians and Muslims make up about 55% of the world's population. When Christians say Jesus is Lord, uh, Islam says Jesus is not God incarnate. He didn't die on the cross for, for human sin. Uh, if Jesus is Lord, Hitler isn't. So uh, we have to live with clash. We have to live with um, a clash of ideas. So if I can come back to a, a point I made earlier, I think it's important in apologetics to realize that when you compare worldviews, there is going to be an overlap in many of the worldviews. Uh, uh, Non-Christian philosophies of life or worldviews are going to get some things right. But then they're also going to get some things wrong. Plato and Aristotle, in my view, got a lot of things right. Uh, that there's objective truth, that there's objective morality, that people can know the truth. Of course, they got wrong that they didn't realize human beings are sinners. Um, they, they didn't get some of the truths of salvation right. Well, today, when we uh, talk with people who hold differing worldviews, uh, Islam gets some things right. 
that there's one God, that that God is a theistic God, uh, that he's the creator of the world. But then there's the clash, uh, the clash of Jesus is Lord. I mean, that you talk about a, a, a controversial political position uh, to say Jesus is Lord is to say Caesar is not, Allah is not, Krishna is not. That, that's going to involve pushback. To my evangelical friends who are not used to creeds, the first New Testament creedal statement was Jesus is Lord. Uh, three words in English, two in Greek. Jesus is Jesus is Lord. Um, that is the ultimate uh, pushback. It, it makes a a radical claim. And this, of course, uh, comes out in other passages. Peter says in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, very important that we recognize these principles and if you're gonna if you're gonna fight and die on a hill make sure it's the right hill mm. make sure it's the right issue you want to fight and die for yeah uh, don't don't fight and die for anything or everything <laughs> ken a question on this one uh we live in a in an age as you know where christians want to be very careful we don't want to appear as arrogant or intolerant uh, i heard somebody say the other day, something to the effect that I respect all faiths, but I believe the Christian faith is a, is the true one. Um, and I, I thought, well, okay, that's you know, I see what you're getting at, but it seems like that's not quite uh, not quite right. How would you uh, assess that? Well, I I think we want to be careful in what we say. I I think, for example, uh, based upon what Scripture says that uh, pagan religion, uh, and, and we could also talk about the world's religions, I think we should expect to discover that they are going to get some things right because they're made in God's image. They see uh, the heavens declaring the gl glory of God. They have, uh, they have a moral conscience. Um, and, and Joe, it's amazing. One of the things that I've discovered over 30 years of teaching the world's religions is that Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism, they all have basically the second five of the Ten Commandments. Uh, they say no murder, no adultery, uh, no stealing, no bearing false witness. Um, they're generally uh, you know, be unselfish, don't covet. But while they have the second five, the, the first five are really mixed up. They have different gods. They have different Christs. They have different gospels. And so um, I don't think we should assume that religions or philosophies, whether they're religious or secular, they're going to get everything wrong. No, but there's going to be uh, some correspondence, and there's also going to be what uh, Christian philosophers talk about, the antithesis, that that clash of, 
uh, of ideas. So someone like St. Augustine said, uh, you don't want to accept, you don't want to swallow hook, line, and sinker, um, nor do you want to reject it hook, line, and sinker. You want to you want to evaluate it very carefully. And what I see, Joe, in the in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, is Paul is there in Athens and he quotes some of the poets of, of the uh, pagan nations. Um, and he says, you know, you get certain things right, but uh, here is where you ground all of that. So I, I do think we have to be very careful about, uh, you know, taking too much, uh, you know, swallowing it as a whole or rejecting it as a whole. That would be my point. Mm -hmm. One more point before we uh, lose our time here. A, a seventh point is uh, to deny the reality of truth is self-defeating. And what I mean by that, I'm going to quote here, uh, Gordon Clark, uh, Joe, you probably know that name, Gordon Clark. He was a, a Presbyterian philosopher in the Reformed tradition. Uh, he said this, he said, the skeptic asserts that nothing can be known. In his haste, he said that truth was impossible. Uh, and is it true that truth is impossible? For if no proposition is true, then at least one proposition is true. The proposition, namely, that no proposition is true. Now, <laughs> let me let me just say that I hear lots of postmodern folk today saying there is no truth but my truth. Hmm. Well, if there is no truth, uh, then we actually do know the truth. There, there's at least one truth. Uh, and and so you got to be careful about denying truth because it, it it is self-stultifying. That is, it collapses back on oneself. And so we should take truth seriously. We should uh, and 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 here I love uh, you know I I grew up I think probably in a very patriotic period. Uh, I'm a baby boomer, uh, post World War II. I grew up admiring our nation. I loved what America did in World War II. Um, I thought uh, America is a, an imperfect nature nation. It, it's made deep mistakes in the past, but it's it's trying to correct them. And I, I loved some of the statements that come within the American context, such as the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I was on jury duty one day, and I heard the bailiff say that the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth i thought wow i i'm so attracted to that i want the truth i want all of it and i i don't want to settle for anything less than that so christians i think have to view truth as it's sacred that that it's something we handle very carefully and we believe unlike the postmodern uh, relativization of truth, we believe that it it is a reality. It is out there. It is discoverable. It is universal. Uh, it's come in a person. And so if you want to speak to many of the challenges today in kind of our postmodern culture, I think it's kind of getting those seven points. Uh, Joe, I recently... Uh, 
uh, was talking to some people on my, one of my social media pages. And um, I asked them, well, do you have a favorite Ken Samples book? And, you know, what, what's interesting, a lot of a lot of students that I've had from Biola, they said it's a, a world of difference is my favorite book. It's it's been so useful to me. Mm. So that's the reason for this show. We're going to we're going to take that book. I think um, I think the ideas about truth in there can be very helpful to people as they're navigating in our relativistic age. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for your comments. So if you do not have Ken's book, A World of Difference, we encourage you to pick it up. You can go to our, our site here, reasons.org, and do some shopping. You'll find it right there, A World of Difference. Here's a comment from somebody who has read this book, uh, Ken. It says, Ken, I've really enjoyed reading your books. Thank you. I'm currently reading A World of Difference. I have family members and friends who think that all religions are similar and all paths lead to God. I want to be able to clearly and intelligently explain how Christianity makes sense and why I believe it is the one true path to God. Sandy Thompson. Well, thank you for that uh, comment, yeah. Sandy. I'm sure you're pleased with it as well, Ken. Yeah, very nice. That's that's one of those books. Uh, did you say 2007? That uh, when you Baker Books, yeah. 2007. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been that that long ago. But uh, I remember so working ago. on it, uh, sitting at my <laughs> desk and pulling my hair out. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for the uh, comment there. You can reach Ken via Twitter, and that's at RTB underscore K samples. We'll be glad to read your comment here. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.